For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating today? I'm celebrating a Broadway legend, Kurt Peterson. I'm so thrilled that he's here tonight. And you can see on the bottom of my screen uh, a wonderful quote of his. And it says, I'm a big cheerleader for people remembering people. And so am I. I want to talk a little bit about my mentor. And that was Miss Florence Epps in my hometown of South Carolina. I actually have a photograph. She had a, pl a playhouse in her backyard. And when I was a kid, I used to go into her playhouse and she used to teach me the classics and she would teach me about great artists. And if I didn't know a particular name of someone, she would stop me and she would say, when I see you again, make sure you know who these people are. Because she believed that every time I stepped on stage and now in front of a camera, it's important that we carry the mantle of all that have come before us with us. And Kurt has had the great pleasure of appearing with so many incredible people, uh, but he is celebrating a lot of incredible women. And today we're going to talk about some of those women who have helped shape who he is, uh, both as a person and as an artist. But before we bring him on, I'm going to give just a glimpse of this new show called Proud Ladies, and then we'll meet Kurt on the other side. Here he is. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Kurt Peterson. And his very proud ladies. Twenty-three of the musical theater's most exciting women, and Kurt's special relationships with each. Dorothy Collins, Yvonne DiCarlo, and Alexis Smith, a trio brilliantly cast in the musical palace. This is Kurt's musical memoir. Good God! Get on over those legs!
Hello, Kurt. Welcome to the show. First of all, I want to say you've had the pleasure of working with all these incredible women, but they have had the pleasure of working with you. Oh, thank you. So, thank you so I, much. <laughs> you are so worth celebrating. I just saw you just a couple of months ago uh, when the ASA celebrated Stephen uh, Schwartz, uh, and you, as always, uh, stopped the show. Uh, an incredible evening. So it was great to see you once again on stage. Uh, I begin all my shows by asking my guest, who or what are you celebrating? And obviously here you have a lot to celebrate. But beyond all this, what are you celebrating today? Today, well, I'm just uh, I'm just celebrating the fact that I'm still here. I am so grateful. You know, um, we talk about remembering people and keeping people in our hearts. Uh, past couple of years, we've really lost a lot of uh, special, special people. Uh, people I was so grateful to have the good fortune to have worked with early on and, and even a little bit later on, you know. Off the top of my head, what, Harvey Evans? Ah, oh, he was <laughs> um, a dear friend. Yes, oh, dear Harvey, you know, Steve Sondheim, Hal Prince, those two giants were, were major losses because I had the... Uh, uh, had the uh, Good fortune working with both of them a lot, and and um, and it goes back to uh, my dear my dear uh, partner Victoria Mallory, who we lost a few years back too. And I, I'd like to to speak about that when I talk about proud ladies because um, she, uh, my work with her was instrumental in uh, in going back and being grateful for for you know people in my life. And when we lost her, I. Uh, I just began to think that she wasn't the only one who really created me, who mentored me, and uh, just just so many so many stories of, of ladies who, at different points in my life, starting with the first first days in New York, um, became a part of me and and uh, helped me along the way. And without them, I would not have had a career. Without them, I probably wouldn't be in New York. And that's where we start with Dean Merrill in my show, Proud Ladies, because if it wasn't for her giving me a scholarship to my little school, Amda, I would have gone back to Wisconsin. I'd still be pumping gas at my father's filling station. Well, <laughs> I, I asked for a photograph of you as a young boy, and you did send a photograph, and I didn't realize until I went to upload it just before we went live that it was a PDF and I had trouble uploading it. So uh, I will have to get that photograph to everyone later. But I want to ask you about that five-year-old boy. And the reason I asked for a photograph at that age is because to me, the five-year-old self is the purest self. It's before life begins to tell you who you should be or who you shouldn't be. And I'd like to know about that little boy. Um, before the show uh, began, I asked uh, if there was anything you wanted to listen to. And you mentioned one of my favorite scores, and that was Finian's Rainbow, as we were both listening to it, as we were preparing uh, to go live tonight. Uh, I grew up listening to these cast albums uh, and many that you are appearing on. Um, where did it all begin for you? Well, I think, I, I hope you can bring that picture up because if you, if you, if you can bring that five-year-old up, you'll see he's wearing a cowboy shirt, do you know? And, you know, I'm not from Montana. I, I'm from a little town in Wisconsin where they didn't have cowboys. But I think very early on, I, uh, I always wanted to be, you know, be something else. And I, I remember very early on asking my mother how you, how you become an actor. And she didn't really have much of an answer, but uh, 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 so something something very early on, you know. We and I too, I too, Richard, I believe that the uh, that the child in us, the ethical child, is a, is is very pure. And mm -hmm. uh, and you know, fortunately, if we stay on the planet long enough and do the work, we get back to that place in ourselves now, and we can contact that child and make peace with them, even though we have bumpy a bumpy road, you know, along the way, which probably most of us have. Finian's Rainbow. I was in junior high school. I went to the high school production of Finian's Rainbow and my jaw dropped. I had never seen a musical. I had never listened to a show album, nothing. And I was painting, I was painting sets the next day. Uh, the next show I saw was in high school, Cinderella, the Rogers and Hammerstein Cinderella. And, uh, and then I, um, 
you know, I, I, I was a shy kid and I, I didn't know if I could sing or, or do anything. And so one day I, <laughs> I hope my sister's listening because one day I was singing at the sink as we were washing the dishes together. And she said I was a little breathy and a little flat. And <laughs> I was crushed because she was in the choir. And so I went down in the basement for about two years and I put on LPs and primarily Broadway shows, sang along with them, came out two years later and auditioned for the high school musical and I got it. Good <laughs> for you. Thank your sister for saying that to you. I, I do. We get, we get these teachers along the way and you know, it's, whatever the lessons are, if we listen to them, we, we, you know, we grow. And, uh, and my first show was uh, The Boyfriend and I played Bobby Van Houston. And they did the pajama game uh, doing John Ray's role. And in Little Abner, I was uh, a General Bull Moose. So I became a character actor my senior year. I also, at that time, I suggested to my choir teacher that we do West Side Story. And uh, he said, I'm so sorry, Jim, which my name was Jim back then, hence James William Productions. I'm so sorry, Jim, but we have no one to sing Tony. So <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Famous last words. <laughs> Three years later, when I was doing Tony at Lincoln Center, I got him a ticket and I sat in between Leonard Bernstein and uh, Richard Rogers. <laughs> so, now that is called true that story. is poetic justice right there. <laughs> <laughs> but but I want to go back for a moment. There are a couple of things that you just said that I really want to hone in on. One of the things that you said, I can speak for myself as a kid growing up in a small town in South Carolina. Um, I did want to emerge and become somebody and something else other than what was there for me. And you said also at a, at a young age that you wanted to be uh, something else. Um, do you know what it was that pulled you in that direction? Well, it was a little, it was a little bumpy childhood. Um, my parents loved me very much, but they also had an illness. My father was a drinker. My um, father was too, Kurt. But mother was an enabler. So so the skills of relating and, and feeling and everything were, were not were not there in the in my home. Um, Can I so, interrupt you for just a moment? Yeah. Not only did you just describe my home uh, my childhood, but my birthday is the day before your birthday. Oh no, happy Aquarius. <laughs> February 11th, February 12th, right there. So, and Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. So, I'm sorry to so, interrupt, but just so to... very early on, I, I, I sort of went into into fantasy land in my thinking, and so that, of course, brings you right into the theater too. I also think I had a very, very strong creative urge um, that 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 I had as a kid, and I left right after high school. I went right to New York. I. I I, I had something inside me that needed um, needed release and needed expression. And thank God I picked musical theater. I was supposed to be a chemical engineer. That would have been a complete disaster. I, I love chemistry <laughs> when you could send up rockets and, and blow up things. But the minute they brought math into it, I was paralyzed. So I would have been a terrible chemist. And, uh, and musical theater was it for me. I loved it. So I want to talk about the scholarship that you got, because when you get this scholarship, and of course that is going to change the entire trajectory of your life and everything about you. Um, not knowing a lot about you know, the world that you were growing up in, but I know from my own experience that that world of show business, going to New York, because I also left home at a very early age, right after high school, my parents could not relate to that world at all. So when you get this scholarship, how did your family and your parents relate to that? Well, God bless them. They, they, they were very frightened. I left, I left right after high school. I did an eight week summer course at AMDA, which then was a school with 13 people. It was run by Philip Burton and Dina Merrill was on the board. It was a wonderful school. I met my voice teacher, Paul Gabbard, there, and we had what it was, it was a wonderful school, but it was so much smaller than it is today. It's a conglomerate today. Um, and I, I said to my father, I'll go just for the eight week summer course, and then I'll come back and become a chemical engineer. Well, we, he, we, he, he paid for the eight week summer course, but then when I came back and told him in the fall, 
that uh, that uh, I wanted to come back to New York in the fall because I, I knew I was going to. I just fell in love with it. Uh, I needed some financial help, mm -hmm. and the lady in the school, Joyce Worsley, she was she and Philip Burton were were the head of the school, uh, had gotten me in touch with with Dina because. Uh, Vicky and I had sung at a couple of very big events with Dina Merrill, Cliff Robertson, uh, Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, because they were all on the board of the school because of uh, Philip Burton being the father. And Dina put, took me under her wing and said, you want to come back in the fall? I'll help you out. And she did. She became a dear, dear friend of mine. Uh, so without that, I don't think I would have had the... Um... Anyway... She was the first one of the proud ladies that I celebrated in this show and uh, and was one of the major ones, you know. Well, I want to talk about Victoria for a moment because you're, I, I mean, I believe a little bit in destiny and it's almost as if the two of you were destined to be on the path that you were on together because you appeared in so many uh, shows together and you had this clear journey together um you know and i was listening today uh, to your recording and uh you know and I, I love the fact that she was auditioning and auditioning and getting things and you were jealous of that and you know and hearing your journey and your story together is just an amazing story and that itself would make a, an incredible book yeah thank you thank you for mentioning uh vicky she of course was uh, um, i met her the first day of school first day of school at amda Heard her sing and fell completely in love. Uh, you know, uh, she she represented everything that I I wanted. She she represented family to me. She rep, you know she she uh, sang like an angel. She had studied ballet since the age of age of two. She was a concert pianist. All the things I was so insecure about, she had. So I I just needed her in my life, and she, so this kid from Wisconsin, and we got we got involved, and then uh, it it was on and off again, a lot for eight years. But fortunately, we did a lot of our shows together, including the big one that started us both off, which was the revival of West Side Story at Lincoln Center. And as you say, she had five auditions. I was so jealous. I, I wrangled an audition. I had five auditions, and and we we had the, the summer there. So. And and I, I know you mentioned, I just wanted to mention When Everything Was Possible, which is the CD. Which we are going to give away uh, today. We're going, to give away. Uh, yeah, we're going to give away tonight. And of course, there's Vicki. And uh, that's Ken Duncan's photo. Ken was, Ken was actually in the building. I'm still living, living during the week in the building here. Ken Duncan had just started doing theater photographs and he was across the hall from my agent. So when I got West Side Story, Ken said, whoa, let me do the press shots. So he did the press shots for West Side Story and sold it to Lincoln Center and got all these wonderful Ken Duncan photos, some of the earliest, much before the Red Shoes. Oh, I, that one of my favorite books, by the way. <laughs> I just absolutely love that. And uh, But you hear uh, that there's going to be a revival of uh, West Side Story. Uh, and obviously you had wanted to do West Side Story back in your hometown. Uh, and you were told there's no one to sing that part of Tony. You hear that there's going to be a revival at Lincoln Center and the wheels just start rolling. Um, do you, I mean, do you believe in manifestation? Do you believe that you manifested your getting into that role? Only 110%. When I was in high school, I built a set for West Side Story, wanting to do it. I put the set next to my bed. And even though my teacher said he had no one to sing Tony, I think I think I created that, you know, I created that. I was given the the uh, brochure for AMDA. I was just doing walk-ons at the University of Wisconsin summer stock at my junior year. And an actor from New York just happened to have a brochure from AMDA. He gave it to me. If he hadn't handed me that, that brochure, I would never have come to New York. Never. Um, the West Side, as you say, you know, Vicky had five auditions, and I kept telling her, I can't sing Tony, because I really couldn't. I really couldn't. The reason I couldn't is because I didn't have that B-flat in Maria. Okay? So when I did audition five times, 
they never made me sing the B flat in Maria. And I got the role because I had a really strong baritone voice, which could handle all the rest of the, the notes in, in, the, in the score. So one day they wanted me to sing Maria, and I got to the part where you go, Maria, Maria, and then go up to the B flat. And I said, I just stopped. I said, Well, you know, I can't sing that note. And the music director looked at me and said, What do you mean you can't sing that note? I said, No, I don't have a B flat, I'm a baritone. And so they, they did two things they put me in with an opera coach who was a tenor, and it never worked. And then the second thing was that they called Lenny in, and Lenny wrote an obligato for me, and it, it sucked. It was something like, oh, ma, oh, ma, Ria, oh, ma, 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 And Lenny said, this sucks. So what they did, <laughs> what they did was brilliant. They, were, they got three guys in the chorus who were tenors. And when, when the, the, the B-flat came in, the thing, they were off stage in the microphone singing the B-flat. And underneath them, I did... Maria, I just met a girl named Maria. And I did that reprise of that refrain while they were holding the B flat. And the audience thought I was singing two things at the same time. And it was so powerful. <laughs> it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Oh, <laughs> that is amazing. That so, is I, well, didn't get, I didn't get fired for not having a B flat. And we, we made it work better than it would have had I had a B flat. So let's back up for, to getting the role. When you you were handpicked to be in the show, Richard Rogers and Leonard Bernstein, two of the giants of musical theater, talk about the leap in, you know, it's just an unbelievable story. Um, I want to know what you learned from both of those gentlemen that you have carried through your entire lives, uh, your entire life, both as an artist and as just Kurt Peterson, the human being. You know, Richard, maybe you can relate to this. Um, maybe other people out there can relate to this. I so wish I had a 74 year old conscience and sensibility in that 20 year old kid. You know, I knew, I knew a bit of musical theater history because I loved it so much, but I had no idea of the depth of uh, of the uh, of, of the work and the skill of somebody like a Richard Rogers, or even Leonard Bernstein, and certainly Stephen Sondheim, Jerry Hearn, all these people. I was I was lucky enough to work with. I so wish I had more. You know. I just wish well, I you know, started. let me respond to that for a moment. I mean, of course, that comes with age and wisdom and uh, all of that that goes with that. Um, perhaps that takes some of the intimidation away from you as well. I mean, you as a young kid uh, were eager to do a specific role, and it was just the specific role that you were going after, uh, not realizing, perhaps you did, maybe not, I don't want to put words in your mouth, of the gravitas or the of, or the enormity of everything that went with that role, am I right? You're absolutely right. You're, you know, I couldn't play Tony, or I couldn't play young Ben and Follies if I had a 74 year old knowledge and consciousness. We were hired because we were that age, and we had a you know we had a limited consciousness, and you know, and we were young. And I, as I say, in one of the lyrics in "When Everything Was Possible." Um, uh, uh, <laughs> it's about being young and, and uh, having the chances, chances and the choices, and the gift of being half awake is one of the lyrics they say. And and there is a gift in that. I mean, you know, we, we we're immortal at that age. We're totally immortal at that age. So so it's a gift, and 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 it's the qualities that make us uh, hireable as juveniles and ingenues. I'd say. <laughs> now, what did uh, getting this, you, you know, iconic role at that point in your life? What did that do as far as your confidence and changing who you were in terms of how you began to pursue other projects? Because that will bring us to the next uh, role in that came along and. Very interesting uh, story around that as well. I'd like to talk about. 
Um, Richard, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to answer that question later. Um, I've, I've, Ricky and I wrote a musical that we began even before when anything was possible. It's called Dancing on the Moon, which is the real story. When everything is possible is a surface story of what was going on. We wrote the musical called Dancing on the Moon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as we speak, it's in the hands of Andre Bishop, who is going to read it because a lot of it takes place at Lincoln Center where we do. So I'm just going to hold off on that just for a second because okay. it was a very mixed bag. I mean, I could give you sort of a road answer. Well, that experience gave me enough strength to move to the next, to the next. That wasn't my my uh, my journey. My journey was a little more bulky and my emotional self took a long time to catch up with my professional self. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. Trust me, I've been down that path. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Sure, others have as well. <laughs> yes, well, many have, many have. But I want to, you know, how long um, did that production run? And, 11, uh, 11 weeks. 11 weeks. You know, Richard Richard Rogers had had four summers there. He did a, a King and I, a Any Get Your Gun, a West Side Story, and a, and a South Pacific. No, 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 in Oklahoma. In Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Those four, three were recorded, ours wasn't recorded, but fortunately there's a sort of a pirate tape of, from the audience that's, that's out there, which is, which is fun. But yeah, it was, just, it was just four summers that he had that uh, the, the thing, and it was 11 weeks during the summer from June 24th up until September 9th. Great and then summer. when the show closed, how long of a period was there? I mean, in, in an artist career, especially in the theater, um, was were opportunities starting to come your way? Were you pursuing other opportunities? What exactly was happening as far as your trajectory was concerned? The last week of AMDA, when I when I auditioned for West Side Story, the last time and got it, I also got Dear World opposite Angela Lansbury the same week. So I figured this was how it's going to go from now on. <laughs> well, let's talk, let's talk about that for a moment. <laughs> If you could put, for those who don't know, in perspective, what your mindset was going into this production based on Jerry Herman's previous two shows. As I said, I bought a very expensive car because Jerry Herman had, what, three hits in a row, giant yes. hits in a row, and Angelo was in the last one. So I figured I had it made <laughs> until I read the big review from the, uh, I don't know if it was the Times or the Tribune or whatever, it said, when bigger bombs are built, it'll be Broadway that builds them. <laughs> and I, was, I said, whoops, this car is not going to be with me at all. <laughs> I mean, it's so early on in your career, I mean, there are, I mean, the stories around that production are so legendary. Encores is about to do Dear World again. Yes. Dear World happens to be one of my favorite scores. Um, and and I had the great pleasure uh, of interviewing Jerry Herman years ago. Yeah. And his regret, according to what he told me, was he wanted a chamber musical. And because of the success of MAME, they wanted, and Hello Dolly, they yeah. wanted something bigger. Can you address that and talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's it's true. Um, you know, it started out with Lucia Victor directing, who was a, a stage manager for David Merrick, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, and then, then after that, we uh, they got a little, I'm not sure exactly the timing, but we went up to Boston and opened and it wasn't received really well. And Dear World spins dizzily. And at that point, you know, then they start doing a little firing and whatever. And Lucia was gone and Peter Glenville came in, I believe, at that point. And Peter wanted to make it into that chamber musical, you know, and, and bring it down and, and put it a little bit like this. But, uh, uh, as the changes were made, I think I think Alex Cohen and and maybe I'm not sure Jerry, but uh, but I know Alex and Angela 
got a little frightened and uh, and they uh, brought in Joe Layton. Now when Joe Layton came in, you could, uh, Angela's uh, dresses got shorter, the makeup became a little less. They started putting her uh, on the program, her face from uh, Maine rather than the dear world. They got a little scared. There were a little, few more trumpets in the uh, orchestra pit. There was more dancing because of Joe and stuff. So it, would, it had been pull, it pulled away from the, uh, the, uh, the smaller, more intimate thing, which Jerry, I think, always really wanted. And probably was, it probably was the right choice. But I think, you know, when you get out of town, this, and of course with the baker's wife, there's so many cooks in the kitchen and, and, and people get a little frightened and, 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 and things happen. And, and that's what happened to your sort of a hybrid between a, a, a flashy Broadway musical and a, a little chamber musical too, you know, so it never found its identity. But I too, I love Jerry Herman. He's, he's continually underrated. And this score is, is one of the most beautiful scores uh, in the world. Uh, for me, I'm so thrilled to have been a part of it. You, you know, two iconic musicals that you absolutely were part of, of course, Geo World, and then there's The Baker's Wife, um, and all of the legendary stories that go with both of those. And you are in the eye of the hurricane or the uh, tornado, so to speak, and you are observing and you are doing your job and trying to keep your head above water how do you basically just step back and absorb what's going on without letting it essentially destroy you because there i mean the emotional turmoil i can only imagine uh it's difficult to let go of at the end of the day and it continues uh, the cycle, you have to go to the theater, you have to deliver. Uh, what gets you through a process like that? Oh, gosh, I think, I guess, just being grateful for a job. And, and you know, even though your show is in trouble, and um, you're still in a big Broadway show, and you have, you know, you're playing opposite Angela Lansbury, and you're with her all night on stage. Um, how wonderful is that, even though you have couple of people, well, at least one less number, <laughs> you know, um, it was, it was, you know, so it, it was quite an experience. And, and as I say, I, I thought we were going to run forever. And so it was a, so it was a sobering and, and you know, brought, brought back down to reality and the, the reality of the business, which is nothing is guaranteed. You know, the Baker's wife was a little bit more difficult because the Baker's wife, I had, a, I had a really terrific role that I thought was going to you know, put me, put me on the map on Broadway with three great songs, you know, and, uh, and that was very painful. That was very painful, you know. Yeah. And as your career is starting to progress beyond these roles and everything, um, when did you feel, when did you feel grounded as Kurt Peterson? Or do you feel grounded? as Kurt Peterson. This is an interesting profession to be in. And when did that moment happen for you? Maybe three years ago. It's been a long, it's been a long process, long process. Um, that, that doesn't mean I, I, that doesn't mean I, I, um, it didn't have, you know, when I say that, I think when you mean grounded, I think you mean really completely emotionally grounded. And that probably is, is three years ago. I've had a lot of, a lot of um, issues going going through. But you know, I was able to do a lot of work while 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 growing up, and had a lot of help growing up too. You know, I I started uh, working in the business end of the business as a producer very early, because I wanted a little bit more control, and more uh, I wanted to be able to to choose and make things happen mm -hmm. rather than always be you know working for someone to be at the mercy of shows that are going to happen and not the first thing i did was raise money for uh, angela's gypsy and i raised a, a quarter of the uh, the uh, capitalization with my friends barry and fritz and uh, and then of course the sondheim tribute which i 
couldn't be prouder of, which is going to celebrate 50 years next March 11th. And we're in the process of trying to do something really special for it. Well, let's talk about that for a moment. Uh, our dear friend Josh Ellis is here watching. Hello, Josh. Oh, Josh. He says um, he wants to talk about the triumphant Sondheim musical tribute. Uh, <laughs> an amazing, amazing, amazing uh, production and what's happening with that now. And, uh, you know, some people, I mean, we will never lose Sondheim because he is such a major part of our consciousness. Company just closed, but, um, you know, Into the Woods is going strong and keeps extending. Uh, and uh, he's very much a part of our Broadway heritage and will continue to be so. And you had the great pleasure of knowing him as a friend, as a mentor, as a colleague. Um, what can you tell us about Sondheim uh, in terms of what you learned about working with him? Well, he was a wonderful teacher. He, you know, he was a wonderful teacher. And um, whenever you had a conversation about the theater, about things that would work, he was always so specific and would give you his reasons why something would or would not work, or um, it was always thought thought through so beautifully um, when you were when you were in conversation with him. But I think some of his best teaching is in his music and lyrics and the way he he approaches musical theater as a dramatist, and uh, and always you know he was always late to the party with his music and lyrics and. The, frustrated everyone who worked with him because he would last minute. But there was a reason for that because he wanted to see that he wanted to see the scenes in action. He wanted to see the sets. He wanted to see the costumes. He wanted to his, his songs always came from context, you know, and and the, the later he could observe that context, the better he could write. Sand in the Clouds is a perfect example. Yeah. It was yeah. written very late. And it came out of a scene that Hal was improvising with Glynis and Len. And they were improvising and improvising, and Hal just was at the edge of his seat. He said, hold it. I got to call Steve. Because they had got to a certain point in that scene, and Hal knew that there had to be a song there. And so Steve came over in the next hour, saw the scene, wrote Send in the Clowns, and it was it was there to sing the next morning. That's that's the dramatist that you know, Stephen is. And, um, you know, um, I always believe that songs are served better when they come from context. And so when I, that's why my show is Proud Ladies has, has, I set them all up. I see every, every song I sing, I set up. And that's when, when everything was possible. Every song had a setup uh, because they, they, earn, they earn the fact that they're being sung if you give them enough context. And the stronger the context, you've got the audience with you all the way, you know? Uh, some standards, don't have to, to have context, but they but they do in the sense that they're written because everyone has an unconscious um, story about the song, you know, whether it's night and day or you know, some of the other some of the other sort of standard songs. There's a, an implied context that people have in their unconsciousness that uh, that makes the song work. But in musical theater, you have the advantage of of. Of, uh, of dialogue, of, of dance, of text, of music, of choreography, of set, of all of these wonderful elements to create this incredible uh, power. When it's, when it's working, the cake is great. And when it's not working, it's just, it can be just awful. <laughs> Carrie's an example of both, both. I saw all three performances of Carrie. It was the best of times and it was the worst of times. Wow. <laughs> I want to talk about another genius in the theater. Um, that is just getting started, and that's Charles Kirsch. <laughs> you, I, I so admire this kid and what he has created and what he is doing, and I know that you are going to be part of his celebration uh, at 54 Below on September 6th. I'm going to be there. With a great group. Uh, and uh, and uh You've been on his uh, podcast show, and I bow to him and the work that he's doing. Um, for those who don't know, what your experience of uh, doing his show and who this incredible kid is 
who uh, is just one of the best out there. <laughs> well, you know, this, this comes on the heels of me telling me that I was half conscious at age 20. This kid is, 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 is fully conscious at age 13, now turned 14. Uh, how wonderful, how, how wonderful, you know, and it, it reinforces my, I don't know if the word is reincarnation, but I know that we all have this wonderful energy that sits with us for a while and then moves on. Well, I have a feeling there are some, some great, great minds in the musical theater that moved on into Charles when he was born. And uh, thank God, you know, thank God that young people are as passionately committed to this art form as, uh, as he is. And I'm, I'm thrilled to know him. I'm thrilled that he chose me to do this, this little uh, show with these wonderful people uh, who I've worked with before. Meg, Meg Bussard, I'm his dear, dear friend. Oh, God, do I love her. Oh, Meg, wonderful lady and singer. You know, and uh, of course, Leroy, and then Len. Len, my God, Len is legend, you know. I can remember sitting there watching, well, night music early up in Boston, of course. He and Larry Guitar doing those wonderful duets. And also Sweeney, you know, Sweeney here. Let us study with my great voice teacher, Paul Gabbard. There a lot of the earlier people in the 70s and 80s. And uh, so I, I feel he's family, and I'm, I'm looking forward to being with him. I want to ask, when you set out in this business, and you did you have a game plan as to what you how you wanted to pursue this business? I mean, you came, you went to AMDA, uh, and you celebrate these incredible women uh, along the way. And I want to mention a few of the women: uh, Betty Buckley, uh, Bernadette Peters, uh, Donna McKechnie. Uh, oh my God! I mean, Angela Lansbury, uh, Patty Labone. Uh, the list just goes on and on and on. Uh, you Ethel could do Merman. Ethel Merman. Uh, these great experiences of working with these great artists. And as I said, and they worked with you as well. Yeah, yeah. What, what a gift. What a gift. You know, as I said early on, my, my, my father was a drinker and he was sort of a rager as well. So I always found it easier to uh, be comfortable with and relate to women. You know, so a lot of my mentoring and growing up really happened with, with women uh, and not men because men scared me, you know, and I, I work on that today. You know, I have a lot of wonderful male friends now, but it took me a long time to, uh, you know, to, uh, to be comfortable, especially with alpha males, you know. And uh, so, so right from the very beginning, uh, you know, these ladies and, and, uh, and you know, right up to today with, with Kelly, uh, Kelly O'Hara and Laura Venanti, and it goes all the way from from Dina and Ethel all the way up through today. And each one, each story is very specific, and it's a story that the public doesn't know. You know, the public, you know, even Nancy Walker, Nancy Walker, they know from "I'm Still Here" and the, the tribute, but they don't know my special story with Nancy, uh, and uh, and and even the stories with Angela and. Uh, um, <laughs> with Patty too. Patty, Patty's the one, one person I have a little, little uh, bone to pick with in the show. So uh, you'll have to, you have to come. You know, I, I can't give the date and the time, but it, uh, because we're still we're signing the contract. This You'll week. let me know, and I'll let everybody know. So yeah, uh, so uh, probably next week, and we'll we'll let you know. Uh, it's going to be near Lincoln Center, and it's going to be in October. That's what I can tell you. Oh, I can't wait. It's uh, and uh, and I'm sure that it's going to be yet another sellout. Uh, with, uh, I, did you keep journals uh, over the course of your career? Uh, because I mean, this is a musical memoir that you're putting on stage, but it would make a great book as well. Yeah, I th you know, it's been suggested to me. Thank you for suggesting it again. Um, while I can still sing. And, and move a little bit on stage. I wanted to do it musically because because uh, these ladies not only you know were, were were family to me in a wonderful way, but they were all exciting musical performers, and I thought the medium would be terrific as as a musical first. Um, again, you know, uh, 
we'll, we'll see if, if a book happens. It would, it, it's going to be after this and after the Dancing on the Moon thing happens. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, uh, we are going to give away uh, a copy of When Everything Was Possible, uh, thanks to you. And uh, uh, the word, each day I choose a word of the day, and the word I chose today is creativity. What does creativity mean to you, Kurt? It means an, an energy that is in a person that makes them want to to make something beautiful. It's a it's a gift. It's it's a gift, and it and it should be treasured because you can you can damage it. And you can you can you can uh, sabotage it. Uh, but uh, you know. It's what made me come to New York. I admired the people who were so creative. I was awed by their creativity. Uh, I, I hope to be a part of it. I wanted to be around it. Um, I think it's a gift from uh, higher power. And uh, it, it's to be taken care of, be grateful for, and, and be honored. And hopefully, at the end of, uh, of the road, it's passed on to another 13-year-old. Uh, Charles, are you listening? I hope so. Uh, so um, I, I've got some wind-down questions for you, yeah. uh, just for the fun of it, to give everyone a greater sense of you. And the first question is always a random question. I never look at it before I ask the question. So it's a surprise. And the question is, would you rather date someone you met online or go on a blind date? Have you ever done either or? <laughs> Neither. <laughs> okay. And the next I question was, is... Richard, I was in the musical theater. <laughs> <laughs> that tells you everything you need to know. I was a straight man in the musical theater. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to go online or go on a blind date. You didn't have to. You didn't have to. Um, the next comment is to reevaluate a long-held belief. And I want to ask, looking back over your life and career, have you changed your viewpoints on long-held beliefs that you've had on this business? Yes, yeah. In the beginning, I was so swayed by um, by other people's assessments of, of performers and, and shows and things, and I was so swayed by reviews and and, and sort of the external uh, things. And as as I as I stayed in my career and got more and more knowledge, I began to trust myself so much more in terms of my own feelings about what is is good and what is is not not as good you know and i think that you know i'm you know often sometimes my taste is is totally uh, doesn't you can't take it to the bank and the show will close but but i do trust what i think is valuable you know and i think i think in general um I, I would hope that other people would start to trust their real gut feelings about what they see and experience because I get so cranky when I go to a show and if two people stand up at the end of the show, the rest of the audience stands up and just says to me, the people are trusting, they're not trusting what, they, what they've seen, what they feel and experience, they're just being led by. And it, I think it, it, it Goes into you know into into the, the big world of politics and everything else. The people just don't trust their guts and their their real their, the gifts of um, discernment and uh, you know. So well, I, I, do, I, do, I do I do I do now I do trust my my instinct. I get it. I I can be totally opposite from another person. You see five people seeing the show, they can all have a different story, but I trust mine. For me, good for you. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love that. Um, my next question: How do you nip a bud, a bad day in the bud? How do you, if you're having a bad day, how do you end it? Try to breathe. 
and a, and a fast prayer. Good answer. Very good answer. If there's a through line in the life of Kurt Peterson, what would it be? That he uh, that he was given the opportunity to learn from his mistakes and grow. Very good, good. And interesting question. I've asked this question of other people. Are there any lies in Kurt Peterson? And you don't have to answer if there are any. Lies? Lies. Oh, there were many, many lies in my life. Um, and uh, lies to people that I tried to make amends to. And lies to myself. And I try to make amends to those two. There have been many and many. But, you know, as you said early on, I think this is a good way to sort of, if, we're, if we are wrapping up, is that that uh, that ethical kid? If we can find the picture, it'd be wonderful. Maybe if you can't find it tonight, you'll bring it up later. But he's the one I go. I'm, I'm trying to go back to and honor. Mm -hmm. I have him out every night, and I say good night to him, and we we have a little conversation about how well I did today. I and, love that. Uh, and I'm doing better now. <laughs> no, I do the same thing. That's wonderful. And the uh, the opposite of that. What are your truths? I don't have all the answers. Mm, good. And what is your point of view about life in the theater? I think it's um, it's a gift. It's it's a gift if we're able to. So to be in it and experience everything that it that it that it can bring, I, you know, it, it's it's it truly is a way of. Um, and I'll, I'll pick a lyric from one of my dear composer friends. It's a it's a way of being alive. That uh, when you when you're out there and things are really going well for you and you're connected with the people who are there with you and you you share something it's a way of being a focused way of being alive that no amount of uh, fame fortune drugs booze uh, can 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 give you and, uh, and hopefully it's a sharing experience and not a narcissistic one um, but it's you're pretty alive up there <laughs> the stakes yeah. are pretty high <laughs> yeah I love that. Um, besides drugs, what is your antidepressant? <laughs> my, my, my antidepressant? Yes. Oh, my God. Well, music. Music. Musical drugs. My yeah. Finian's Rainbow. <laughs> That's a good one. That's you know, a good they, one. They knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. <laughs> now, we know what you're good at, um, but... Besides the theater, what's something that you're really good at that would surprise all of us? I, uh, one thing before before we go, I just want to answer that the people involved, the proud ladies, are my, my dear uh, co-producer Stephanie Skylas, who worked with me when everything was possible, my director, dear Lisa Asher, and my incredible musical conductor uh, and composer Ian Herman. Uh, uh, I, love, I love Lisa and Ian very much. I, I've known them all for years and years, and to have them on this project with me, Ian's going to do a wonderful composition to open the second act, and you're going to, you're going to die when you hear what he's playing. Um, I, I, I used to paint apartments when I was between jobs as a, as a young actor. And my Both grandparents had workshops, and so I would be down in them. So nothing uh, building-wise painting-wise, construction-wise, intimidates me. I can screw them up, but no, but I, I'm never shy about doing them. And I've, I've built a lot of things. I've redone the basement in my house and built a whole pergola and a garage. The voice studio here in the production office, um, my wife and I did a whole redo of the uh, space next door. 
and we we rebuilt it. So uh, I like to make things pretty, and I think that's part of my creativity. And uh, fortunately, I haven't hit myself with a hammer too much. <laughs> okay. <That's> wonderful. <laughs> um, is there anything that, you, uh, well, uh, the opposite of that, is there anything that you're really bad at? Uh, handwriting. Handwriting is oh. terrible. <laughs> Maybe it's an Aquarian trait. My handwriting is the worst. I lose interest after the first two letters. You know, it's the Aquarian going ahead, living in the future. Uh, yeah, math and handwriting and detail. <laughs> and this is my last question uh, tonight. What can you teach us that aligns with your success? Well, just show up, show up as much as, as possible, show up, be healthy, take care of your emotional health, and then show up, you know, show up. And, and you know, I always love what Steven Spielberg said. He, he's, he was asked what he was going to say to St. Peter or whatever at the pearly gates. And, and, uh, and I think, I'll probably paraphrase him, but he said, just thank me for thank thank you for letting me listen do you know thank you for letting me listen and i think that if we stay healthy and 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 stay you know do the next right thing that there'll be voices that that will tell us and give us direction and give us the creativity and the ideas for things and i i think listening to to those voices but also listening to your peers and listening to your teachers listening to you know, the people on the street, um, you know, there's a lot of noise out there, but, but mm. there, there's some listening that we can, can do that really helps us a lot. Absolutely. Well, we're going to give away, uh, hold on for one second, and I'm going to click this. And I want to thank everybody for being here tonight. Look at all these names here. Oh, uh, so wonderful. For being here. Uh, and uh, you can see my hands here. Mitch Morrow, Mitch, you've got to give me a call and we'll get uh, and we'll get this to you and I'll put you in touch with Kurt. Uh, yep. So uh, uh, give me a call in a, about an hour. Uh, so uh, after I've had my dinner. So I'm going to remove this right now. Uh, Kurt, I want to, uh, Richard at richardskipper.com. Uh, you can reach out to me, Mitch, uh, so that I can uh, get that information to Kurt. Uh, Kurt, this has been a real honor uh, to have you here. I cannot wait to see your show. Um, every time I've seen you on stage, I've, I've enjoyed myself immensely. So I want to thank you for the gifts that you've given to the world and that you will continue to give. Uh, my show is about celebrating artists and their body of worth. Uh, don't go anywhere for a moment because I'm going to give you the final word today. Uh, but again, the word that I chose today was creativity. Uh, because we are all creative beings on this planet, every single one of us. And a lot of people stifle their creativity because you've been told that you're not good enough or that you're not this or you're not that. Don't listen to it. It's like Sondheim says, the song, everybody says, don't get out there and try it. Because yeah. once you try it, you never know when you're going to have that breakthrough. Uh, Carol Channing's husband uh, Harry Collegian once said that kids will not know the difference between a xylophone and a microphone if they're not exposed to them. Mm -hmm. And it's important that we put our creativity out in the world for good, not for evil, not for negativity, but for good. And I believe in celebrating each and every one of us and what we bring to the table. And that's what this show is all about. Um, I also end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Uh, go to your Facebook friends list after tonight's show and reach out to the uh, fifth name that pops up and reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call. And let that person know what they mean to you. Because as my dear friend Sean Moniger always says, we're all in this together but we're not in the same boat. And I pulled another quote that I'm gonna pull up here. And this is, I love this, from you. We're in this thing together. Aren't you glad? And I love that. So everybody, let's celebrate each other. 
uh, today, tomorrow, and always. And let's all get together and let's go see Kurt when he's on stage again. Uh, so Kurt, I'm gonna leave the stage and I'm gonna give you the final word. Anything you wanna say about anything that we talked about today that you wanna build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message that you wanna leave everyone with tonight. Don't worry about how to end the show. As soon as you say goodbye, the credits will roll. Thank you, and thank you, and thank you. It's all yours. Thank you. Richard, I thank you. I thank you so much for the opportunity to, uh, to, to get to know you and to, uh, to be with you tonight, and also to the people who are, who are out there. Um, all I'm going to say is we're in this thing together, aren't you glad? Each day from now will be the best day you ever had.